Welcome to Asking for a Friend, a show where we discuss awkward, vulnerable, and practical life issues. My name is Ethan Canning, and I am joined by my co-host, Patrick Cook. Today, we're speaking with Maureen Lilly, a registered dietitian nutritionist who's been in practice for nearly a decade. She holds a master's in nutrition from Bastyr University in Kenmore, Washington, worked in a nutrition program that served people suffering from chronic diseases, and was on the board of the Seattle Food Committee. Maureen now runs her own nutrition company called Yes Peas Nutrition, where she's helping families learn foundational skills for preparing healthy meals from home without stress or burnout. Mo, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Ethan and I both know Mo in, in, I guess, we met at different times. We went to the same university when you were Mm -hmm. getting your undergrad, which was in sports medicine. Is that right? In exercise science. Exercise science. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Ethan, did you meet Mo through uh, Kaylee, through your wife? Yeah, we met through Kaylee, but we were living in Edmonds, Washington for three or four years and had some really wonderful years and times and moments and dinners um, with with Mo and Ryan and the kind of the bastard community that they had built. Yeah. Which when we had little kids, so we really cherished those memories together <laughs> 10 years yeah. ago. That's awesome. I know that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I guess I knew you probably mostly in college. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to go and maybe we'll, we'll dive into the past a little bit later <laughs> on, but the opportunity to spend some really lovely meals at your parents' home in the yes, mountains in the, yes, Bitterroot, yep. in the Bitterroot Valley there in Montana. It's where a we're good both place from. to have a meal. <laughs> oh man. It's still, I think probably top five most peaceful places I've ever yeah, been. Yes. It's a really <laughs> lovely spot. Um, let's dive right in. I, let's do it. Um, I want to ask you about meal planning for a family. I don't have a family and was so fascinated by our pre-interview, just the topic of nutrition and food systems in general, which we'll, pro- we'll probably have to bring you back onto the podcast to have a broader conversation about food systems and poverty yeah. and the economics of nutrition. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, but today we're going to talk like nitty gritty, um, how to feed a family well and affordably without killing yourself, without <laughs> making multiple meals for parents yes. and kids, like how to shop, where to shop, and like some of the philosophy that that you're operating under with your clients. So let's let's dive into just top level, like how do you meal plan for a family? Yeah. And I it can seem like not a very like attractive topic to like to talk about and to think about. A lot of people kind of I, you know, it's kind of like the the beans of trying to encourage people to eat more beans, like just <laughs> yeah. trying to like hype it up to sound like more. But I feel like that with meal planning, that during my last decade of working in the nonprofit field and working with people that just so much of what I came back to. And I think I was, you know, what I always like to tell people is the idea of that. I feel like that so much of nutrition is, uh, there is 5%, about 5% education, like people needing, you know, like the information on, you know, what's healthy, what's not, or just, you know, what to specifically do, but that 95% of it is that behavior counseling or behavior change, um, to make it actually happen. Because a lot of us know kind of a little bit, you know, no basics of what we could be doing to eat healthier, um, but actually making it happen. And I feel like that meal planning and doing that for the family, it was one of those things that, um, 
I was, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty organized. I love cooking. I love nutrition, but that when I had a family, like it, like knocked me kind of flat on my bum, just trying to like figure out how to make it all work and stay sane. And that was so much of what, when I worked with people, the barriers to them making change was just when I'd get into, I did a whole lot of home visits with people and I taught a lot of nutrition classes and just so much of it came back to kind of just the practical skills of just kind of this, the simplicity of meal planning, the simplicity of, um, you know, setting up your kitchen in a way that you can be creative in it and cook in it and enjoy the process. Because for so many, the process is just daunting and stress inducing Mm. and, we spend so many hours of the day thinking about food, preparing food, eating it, that like if you're spending that much time, like if it's a stressful process for you, like that's a lot of hours of the day to just kind of, you know, be dreading or frustrated or annoyed like with that process. Um, so I feel like that meal planning while it, you know, kind of sounds basic is what I've come to kind of discover is kind of being like a focal point or like a really practical skill that then opens up, you know, into helping you be able to, you know, get into the rhythm of um, eating healthier foods and experiencing just more enjoyment around the food process than, than stress. So that's what kind of led me (laughs) into like focusing on this whole idea of meal planning. Yeah. So I, I get, I get home at five, five thirty. My wife gets home. We have four kids in five sports and all of a sudden it's five fifteen. We call it the manic hour. Yeah. And everyone's like the kids haven't had, they've had afternoon snacks. Everyone's like roaming around the kitchen. It's like dragons, like looking for like <laughs> food to eat and everyone's like looking. And then there's like a, someone has something at six and someone has something at seven and we're all like staring at each other. And everyone's asking me, what what are we going to eat tonight? And it's just this crazy, frantic, frenetic, horrible experience. And I think I, as a parent, just loathe every day. It's like that five to six hour. Yes. So like what? So I'm I'm excited to dive more into meal planning to avoid that moment because it's it can be the most stress inducing, horrifying moment of the day. And then all of a sudden, like so last night, we were eating frozen pizzas, and I was like, we're gonna have edamame because it's so healthy. <laughs> And so we're, and we had like 18 minutes to eat as we had a band concert. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to dive into these meal planning ideas to figure out how to not eat frozen pizzas. Yeah. The friend, much. the friend that I'm asking for today is, is Ethan. His name is Ethan. And, I'm here <laughs> yes. yeah. and that's, and that's the thing about food and what I like think about for like a parent, like you can make the goal for yourself of like exercising more and you can, you know, not show up to the gym and it's like a bummer and it's okay but like you can't not feed your kids like you can't you can't choose you can't choose to not you know like you know just like you know miss miss it for a day you know like have it like not happen like it's 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 happening to you whether you're ready for it or not (laughs) and it is just that cyclic like every day you know it's it's happening and it's it's multiple times it's not even just the dinner um and so kind of getting a handle on it and helping out with those times um I think is just so important. And I could go off on just that importance of creating a calm, safe, slow eating environment. Um, and maybe we'll get into that um, later. But I always like to come back to um, within the, you asking about the meal planning, just kind of like practical tips, because um, I kind of 
it's hard when people give the like political big answer that really kind of gives you nothing to do with it, to do with it. Um, but where I always like to like point people to with meal planning and starting is just super pra practical choosing a day of the week that makes the most sense for you to meal plan, which typically I always say, look at the, like, what is your, your most common day for shopping in the week? And maybe it's once, maybe it's twice. And then going, you know, one to two days back from that setting two phone alarms reminders on your phone to meal like this you know like reminding you that 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 day like you need to meal plan and just having those alarms there set you know like the few days before grocery shopping happens and then when you're working on a meal plan to not plan on making brand new recipes every day and every night a lot of people when they're like i'm you know like i'm going to meal plan i'm going to do it like they try to sit down and do 7 days a week of like brand new recipes that they like looked you know like that they looked up or found in their cookbooks and that is just like not like you were kind of saying for those nights when you have like practices and stuff going on it just takes so much more time to follow a new recipe you've never made before it takes um you know, just another level of dedication that you typically don't have as a family. So I always kind of like remind people that meal planning doesn't have to mean like, you know, finding seven brand new recipes to make for the week, that it can even just be, you know, planning out, um, you know, simple meals that your family does like. And then at that time, though, being able to have a little bit more forethought of like, okay, if we do have practice, the concert coming up, and we're we need something like a frozen pizza, what you know, like, what could we do alongside it, you know, to add in a vegetable to add in, you know, a pro, you know, like a better protein or whatever it is and then be able to like have those things prepared and ready to go. <laughs> when you say meal plan, are you saying, is that just dinners? So you're saying seven days, are you doing dinners or evening meals or does, does that include breakfast or lunches or what would you recommend on that? I think for... For, for families, I think it can, I, I always recommend to kind of start what, where makes sense for you. Some people like to have all of those planned out for, for even for me personally, that's overwhelming. I, we always kind of go with making enough dinner to be leftovers for lunch for the following day, or to kind of be able to have it be the base of it. And then breakfast, I kind of, you know, typically pick or have, you know, three things on hand that we kind of can rotate through. Um, and I won't have like set specific things. Um, but, you know, for some people, they they need and like that consistency of planning out all three meals of the day. Um, but for some people, that's just going to be too much. I think dinner is a really great place to start. I think it's the one that tends to be the hard, like the hardest to kind of get into that sustainable routine. Um, and so I always just recommend to kind of start with dinner and kind of, you know, go from there as you build, build the muscles for kind of doing it. And would you write it out? Like we're going to have a protein, a starch and a veggie each night, or we're going to like, we're going to have lasagna and salad. And the next night we're going to do uh, chicken and rice and Brussels sprouts. Do you get that at that specific level to influence your shopping? Yes, I actually have um, created like a full like meal plan template that I use where it um, what I have and what I suggest and one of my other <laughs> uh, tips for after you kind of come up with like those days that you're going to shop and like sitting down, like don't plan on doing, you know, brand new meals. But then from there, once you have decided on the days that you're going to make them make uh, your meal plan. When you go down, when you sit down to do it, first take quick inventory of what you have in your refrigerator and a few things in the pantry and the freezer. 
grabbing those things and writing them down is going to give you the felt like, and then base most of your meals off of like those items. So even if it's just broccoli, even if you have some broccoli left over the frit in the fridge and like, that's the thing that, you know, needs to be eaten up. It at least gives you like a starting point for being able to brainstorm a meal idea. And, you know, maybe you already can think of like, oh, you know, we, there's that broccoli cheddar soup that we really like, or a stir fry or whatever it is. And then that can give you like a starting point to then start to make sure that you use up what you have on hand and then um, start to like, you know, be able to search in a cookbook or on the internet, you know, family friendly meals with broccoli or look in your cookbook and find those things. And so that's what I typically suggest to people is kind of, yeah, taking inventory of some of the things so they know what they have on hand and can try to use up those items so that they don't go to waste. So maybe my last question on this topic is uh, my kids seem to lose faith that we will have dinner that evening. So they're always asking <laughs> what we're going to have. And I'm saying we, we've never skipped dinner yet. So we, we will figure something out. Yeah. I'd love to have like something visual on the wall to like point to be like, here's the plan. Yeah. Do you have any like good, like we've used, we've used phones and notes and templates and marker board. Do you have any good like visual? Uh, I mean, wh where or how should we be writing these things down in a way that is like a good communication tool for a family? You, all of your little questions are <laughs> leading right into like my next points on my suggestions. Okay, well, these are planning. my true stress points. So this <laughs> was, yes, totally. This is great. <laughs> yeah, no. So yeah, from there, what I always encourage people to do when you're meal planning is to not do it as like a solitary task and to involve your family in the process. Because just kind of like what you mentioned, your kids are always kind of asking about it. Kids like to know what's happening to them. I think a lot of childhood is felt like it's, you know, happening to them and kids, you know, push back against that and want to have that sense of knowing what's happening and a sense of control. And especially around food that happens and is so paramount to a kid's being. Um, I just involving them in the process of that meal planning does help them to kind of know and prepare for like what's coming up in the week. And to also even, you know, some kids really get into the routine of, uh, you know, being able to ask for chicken nuggets, you know, on any given night. And if there, you know, isn't a plan or something, it's like, okay, that's easy. Yep. We're going to do that. But if you're sitting down and meal planning, I like to do it at the dinner table. I will do it like on Sunday night. A lot of times um, while I'm eating dinner, I'll have the, you know, my, my plan out in the cookbooks and having kids be able to flip through. I love cookbooks that have a lot of pictures and visuals for kids to be able to look at and to see and to be able to help look at items um, and then to have them help. And at different ages, that can look different for an older kid. They might be able to kind of, you know, think of a whole meal plan. They might be able to, you know, suggest something like, you know, spaghetti with a veggie and, you know, whatever it is. Whereas for like a younger child, it can look more like, you know, oh, we have some, you know, we have broccoli. We need, we need to use up some broccoli. Would you, you know, want broccoli in a pasta dish or broccoli in a stir fry? And kind of giving that, you know, giving them, you know, here's your two options, like which one. And that's still allowing them to have some of that control of choice really helps to create buy-in early on so that when you do come around to making that stir fry and it's broccoli and like they're maybe not as excited about it as chicken nuggets that they've they've been prepped for it they've you know they've heard about that that that's coming up they can ask and you can point to the meal plan um i have different colors on the different days of the week you know so you know i'll kind of you know like my kids aren't quite there to where they can read it um and so i will be reading it back to them um but it's really helpful to have that up and you know, in a visual spot, it can just hang on your refrigerator. Um, it can, um, 
you know, just be somewhere that yeah, people can see it. For younger kiddos, we have some like food magnets that sometimes after we do the meal plan and I put it up, um, my four-year-old will go through the food magnets. And if, you know, she'll look for the pe- the one that's like the broccoli. And so we'll put the little broccoli next to, you know, the stir fry night, um, you know, and do that type of thing so that she has that visual of, you know, some of those foods or things that are happening um, on those days. And that doesn't happen every week. <laughs> um, but, you know, it can't like doing that type of thing of, you know, the magnets or visuals for younger kiddos can be really helpful. But I think that one thing that can be really hard, especially if like you're a stay at home parent or if there's like one person who mainly does the preparing of food, it can start to just feel like a heavy load to carry the food for your family because it is so much. And that the more that you, you know, sit down and do parts of that with your family, I think just helps on so many different levels of feeling like you're shared, like it's a shared family task. Um, and I think it just helps relieve. A, I know personally for myself, like that relieves so much stress when it feels like it's not like me against my family or like me against the world in the process, but like we're a, we're a team in it. That's great. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. That's deeply, deeply helpful. I would imagine because this seems like a normal human instinct and I do this in lots of ways that you see an ideal, you reach for it, you really overreach, and then you get discouraged. How, um, how do you manage this uh, change or adaptation in nutrition for a family without affording whole foods? Like, how do you make these changes either incrementally or affordably? What would you recommend to people? that yeah yeah for sure ethan did Um, you have something to add there no i just can't wait to hear the answer okay (laughs) i'm taking notes i'm taking furious notes (laughs) um that is whenever i work with people in nutrition that is the main thing that i look at trying to solve and to work on is just that simple what is the first most realistic step of like of what to work on for the person or for the family that doesn't add more stress to the plate, but actually helps to relieve it. Because I do think that we personally have like that we on our own level have that tendency to kind of like jump to the like, I call it dramatic change, the like buying a pair of pants you don't fit in to like try to motivate yourself to lose weight. Like, you know, it, it just is like a dramatic like, ah, we need to do something like let's do this thing. And a lot of times that, you know, doesn't work out because you didn't start at a realistic place for like where mm. you're at. Yeah, and I, think I, would that have, that ha- I would have no idea about that. <laughs> I, have a, I have a rough history that Ethan can attest to of attempting races off of the couch. So this yeah, is a- and that's oh my gosh, I was just gonna say the metaphor that I use for it is describing it as having a desire for like wanting to run a marathon, signing up for one one week before the event, and like expecting that it's gonna like go well and that like you'll even finish. And then like you're super bummed when like you actually find out that like it was painful. Mm. And like it, like you didn't even finish and like, you just feel so it's, it's really hard for human behavior to come back from those fails. It's so hard for us that like, when we experience like putting ourselves out there and like trying and investing some amount of like time and money, and then like it not working out, it's so, it just takes people so much more, like it takes a lot to like re-motivate back up to, you know, like making change that I'm always encouraging people that it's like that fine balance 
of like having that like fiery kind of passion to make change, but then like reining it slightly into like realizing like what's the most clear, realistic first step towards that goal. Because right, like for mar- like a marathon, it's it's not just like the sign up for the marathon is just one part of it <laughs> or, you know, buying new running shoes is just one part of it. But like, if you're just to do those two things alone, like it's just going to be an epic failure. And it's, it's the same with meal planning and like making nutrition change. And as, as a quick tangent, Pat did all of those things and signed up for the marathon. And it was, it was uh, last May and he didn't train. But to his extreme credit, he did finish and he beat lots of people, which was quite amazing. Yeah. But 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 not for forever <laughs> and not, not to be forever. expected. And that's, a, and that's what <laughs> sometimes people can, you know, like you can do that and it can work for a week. It can work yeah, for not a sustainable. race, but like it doesn't yeah, create the ability for like sustainable routine or like behaviors. Yeah. That, or the motivation. It was acutely yeah. painful and not not to be done again so (laughs) sorry so maybe the goal is a 5k and it's just a finish not a marathon so what's what's the analogy in food planning of that of a 5k to finish I think for again for different families it's gonna look different because whether you know it can depend on what your cooking skills are it can look at you know like how much you know if you're a single parent family or you know like what you know how many how many kids you have if you have a kid with like sensory issues if you have a kid with just you know out food allergies like there's so many other layers of like you know difficulty that can get added onto your plate that it can look so different for people but I think that it's always good to just look at what you are doing doing what are you currently doing and like what's what's working well and like what's like the top pain point like what's like the biggest pain point is it breakfast lunch or dinner is it you know like the wednesday night before the soccer game and just picking that one like want even one night a week or like the one thing that um isn't working well and that is kind of you know like kind of causing the most you know uh stress going on and looking at maybe not even like a full like redo of that, like one night or that one meal, but even just like one simple step um, towards, you know, making change on, on that item. For some people that's going to look like that they could sit down and meal plan for, you know, the, for five days of the week and have that be their starting point. And for someone else, it's, you know, it's going to be um, just simply, you know, cleaning, cleaning up their kitchen a little bit and like getting it tidy like as like a like that's where like it needs to the change needs to start (laughs) so talk to me about fresh versus frozen versus uh uh, is there a third canned that's the other that's the other way that (laughs) fruits and vegetables are packaged um talk to me about that because in my mind fresh is best Mm -hmm. is that always true it's also seems to be the most expensive. So that could be prohibitive for some people, especially if you live in a food desert. For sure. For sure. No, I think that there are healthy choices across the board within fresh, frozen and canned. Um, and that it's good to, I think, for the reality of making meals um, happen. It's really it's so beneficial to have shelf stable foods on hand to be able to pull from and that aren't, you know, like that you're not buying it and running the risk of it like going moldy before you can use it. Um, and so I always encourage a selection from all three of those categories, having something from those all on hand and frozen and canned definitely have um you know gotten a bad rap of just yeah like that they're like 
you know, not as nutritionally superior to fresh, but in reality, um, like for example, like right now, sometimes canned tomatoes right now can have more nutrition in them than like a fresh tomato because tomatoes are out of season. They're being, you know, picked off of the vine way before they are at peak ripeness. Whereas canned tomatoes can be picked at peak ripeness when the nutrients like are more developed and canned and may, and that preservation can like maintain them better than a tomato being picked, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles away being shipped, um, and like not be, yeah. And like not being grown in season. So there's definitely, you can't always say that fresh is a hundred percent superior to canned or frozen and frozen is, is a, is another great one where those, I, a lot of times frozen get to vine ripen or get to that ripeness before they're being picked. And again, freezing is a great way for like preserving um, nutrients. And you can, I think a lot of it with the canned and frozen that I always tell people and is something that I work on with families is just basic, simple, quick label reading and checking out and doing like a few comparisons between your options. Um, and mainly with canned and frozen, I typically have people just look at the sodium and try to find, and there's a lot more now, a lot more choices of the no salt added options of things or like low, like low sodium. So I think that within choosing and looking for your canned and frozen, that those can be, um, you know, great options and then even better options. If you take that moment to do a quick find or comparison of some of the products available to find um, the lowest sodium or sometimes added sugar. So that probably opens up a world of affordability beyond the Whole Foods marketplace. Yeah, it can be more affordable to have it. It can be more practical um, for, yeah, just, you know, being able to throw together or create a meal um, in a in a simple way and to especially help with um, simple things like during the, the like different seasons, if like you're at a grocery store that, you know, doesn't have much selection or, you know, like isn't getting much in of out of season items, that just the taste can be better. And then just the ability for, you know, the food to be more acceptable for, for kids to eat, for them to want to eat it. Um, that, you know, the, can the canned tomatoes are going to taste way better than a not fresh tomato. As the person that does 90% of our cooking, frozen and canned foods are deeply foundational to my mental health and <laughs> yes, sustainability yes. Of, of feeding my children. Yes. What are yeah. some, um, to go more practical, what are some frozen or even canned items? I'd, I'd like to talk about how to handle picky kids maybe mm -hmm. later. Um, mm -hmm. So what I heard you bring up canned tomatoes. What are some other frozen or uh, canned items that would be a good healthy option that also provide that planning flexibility for parents? Yeah. Um, you know, some of it I think is always going to come back to like, also like what your kids enjoy, but you know, just, I almost always have on hand, um, frozen spinach, frozen broccoli, and then frozen corn or peas. Those are such simple ones. And especially for like really little kids, uh, you know, peas and corn, are just so nice that there's, you know, nothing has to happen. Like they're just ready to eat, um, you know, like for like being like the size of them and that they cook fast. Um, so I always like to have those on hand and I mean, but, and, and also, I also love having like edamame edamame is a really great thing that's soybeans you know like fresh soybeans if um if people don't know um and so that has great that's a really great uh edamame has protein and fiber in it that's really great that, and it's kind of just like a fun snack um and then for the canned i love having on hand canned beans canned tomato and also like like diced sauced and like paste like a couple different kinds um of those tomato um and then also just like again you can have um 
you know, some things like canned corn. I do find that canned corn versus, fr- I, I typically like frozen corn because you can get it with just no salt added. Um, it's a little bit harder to find no salt added canned corn. Um, and so I typically go that route with like things like corn. Um, and then, um, you know, just even things like, and then green beans, um, olives, all of those are, are olives. <laughs> all of those are <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> are our great choices and with things like beans and with some of the vegetables um if you you know can find where it's just like the reduced sodium you're not going to find a no salt added beans they need a little bit for like the preservation um but you can re- just rinsing them just you know dumping them into a colander and rinsing them and re- can remove um i think they typically say anywhere from like 40 to 60 percent of the sodium that was there it c- accounted for in the can oh, cool yeah I, I personally love the frozen bags because it's easier for me from a portion perspective if i open mm-hmm. cans i'm stuck with exact portions and so with my ocd brain it's easier to measure out peas and um and uh carrots or corn in mm-hmm. more single servings and my daughter is 15 now she can actually we've spent a lot of time teaching her how to cook and so she can she, you know she can heat that stuff up on her own it's a quick snack after soccer yeah and the life skills of having a child like know how to like cook when they leave the house is just like so it's just so amazing as like a thing to send them away send them away with it does you know just kind of like blow my mind how much um I remember going to Bastyr and there being like a kid coming into the program who wasn't a kid he was you know in his 20s and uh I was you know like I'm like I'm about to go grocery shopping do you need to come and he's like yes I'd love to go with you like I've never been grocery shopping by my like I've never gone you know like my mom's you know like he like lived with his mom through undergrad and it was just kind of like this mind-blowing experience experience of that of just like how yeah like what do like what do I do and I think it's so great to involve your kids and have them know how to. And I think that kids love having that sense of independence, that sense of being able to take care of themselves and make choices for themselves. I I, I think that's a huge part of like also dealing with like mealtime battles is that so much of it is the... Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of like the positive discipline model of like parenting. And they talk about like the buckets that kids have that need to be filled every day. And so they have like a, a power and control bucket bucket um, and then like a connection like bucket. And that those if those things are filled, that you typically deal with less kind of acting out behavior and that a lot of acting out behavior in mealtimes or whatever can come down to just like seeking to have that control and power and like seeking attention. That's great. Let's talk about that a little bit more. What, yeah, yes, what do you do if you, um, and maybe it happens, it probably happens before this stage, but what do you do if you put dinner in front of a kid and they're, they're not having it there? There's, I mean, I feel like I grew up with like you sat there and you ate it or you sat there for a really long time or it was presented to you again the next day for Mm -hmm. breakfast i mean it was like a a corporal system of of uh food punishment in some ways but for sure so so how how would you guide someone in dealing with a picky yeah backing so there's backing up to like the very beginning of when you start solids that that's like a really a really great place to start is at that introduction of when a kid is starting solids um there's a really great model of called like baby led like food like weaning and uh it's where it's the idea of that like you don't have to 
just transition to purees after, you know, like having milk that you can do whole foods in like, you know, safe ways that allow for that child to explore different texture, taste. It is a lot for a little kid's mind to move from food looking like, tasting like, and being one thing for, you know, the majority the, their whole life that like when they start that the, the, um, the most that you can give them access to tasting and experiencing different textures in their mouth, different tastes at that time really sets up for, um, just their, their palate being open to a lot of different foods as they get older, that they're more willing to try a lot of parents. And what happens a lot is that you can give broccoli and for the first time and, you know, a baby will put it in their mouth and kind of, you know, like put it in and just immediately, you know, tongue push, thrust it out and kind of give this face. And, you know, like we kind of have this like, oh, they didn't like it. And it's not necessarily that they didn't like it. It was just like, it was a completely whole new, like, you know, sensation in their mouth and anything they've ever had there before. And it takes, I think they typically say it takes like 18 times for like a new food to be accepted or for it to be like, oh yeah, this is, you know, like my mind now can shift to that. Like when I'm feeling like, yep, this is broccoli. Like it's kind of squishy. It kind of tastes like this. And so developing those things and kids have what we call neophobia, a fear of new food. It's a typical development mental state that a lot of times, sometimes we accidentally as parents tend to, um, as we're introducing and providing new foods, you know, like, like we kind of take it as like, oh, they didn't like broccoli. So now I don't provide, I don't give them the opportunity to try broccoli again, because they spit it out last time. When in fact, like you want that multiple exposures, like you want to continue to provide it and give them that chance to again, put it in their mouth and like make it the next step further of like biting and starting to chew it. And that just them spitting it out or just them making a face doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, they hate broccoli and they're never going to eat it again. Um, and so that's a really great place to start. If you're a person that is deal is working with a kid, just starting to try trans on um, transitioning to food. There's a really great book called born to eat. Um, that is a really great tool for, uh, being able to do that, like introduction of more like what, like whole foods for a baby versus, um, you know, just like doing more like pureed jarred food. And then also within that is where the kids, so within like baby led, like feeding, um, and a model that can really help with picky eating is, um, the kind of OG person of the entire idea of kind of like mindful eating and intuitive eating is a lady called Ellen Satter. And she has a really great website. I put it in some of the resources, um, for people to look at, at the end, but she has what she calls the division of responsibility. And the division of responsibility is a model. It's research tested, evidence based um, of showing that within the feeding environment that the parent is in charge of when like when food happens, like what the meal or what the uh, what it what the food is. And the child is in charge of how much of those foods presented to them at the meal they will eat and what of those foods presented at the, the meal they will eat. And so that there's division of those responsibilities so that at you as a parent, you get to plan that you will be having, you know, pizza, broccoli and fruit for dinner. And those are on the table. And then the child gets to decide of those things, which they'll choose to eat and how much. Um, and it's, I think it sounds so scary because it's so the opposite of how so much of our generation was raised. 
it can feel still even to me at times I like it just I have to like bite my tongue to not try to you know be you know like to to push a food you know to like try to you know make you know get them to eat you know three bites of x y or z Ethan I I see you with a possible <laughs> yeah no I just I'm you're blowing my mind I just realized that we we accidentally stumbled on this with we've been doing taco night and we do we do taco night like three nights a week and taco night involves tortillas and then like basically seven different plates of food mm-hmm. a, a la carte and every member of our family gets to choose uh what they put on it and all all six people choose s- different options and they're all they all turn out to be different input uh, different output but all healthy options and it's mm-hmm. I think we just accidentally stumbled on that without even so you're you're giving me some like mental verbal structure to what we accidentally stumbled upon where we're giving our kids opportunities and we're picking the items you know it's like cheese black beans lean ground beef uh purple cabbage lettuce radishes um and then the kids and then everyone's happy and we've just I'd, i've never known why that was working and you were seeing my mind being blown as you were giving me that structure <laughs> yeah, from that, when this you, wonderful lady. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> so. no. And it's, I think that a lot of us too, I think that we were just like in health classes and in society kind of raised with that idea of like what a healthy meal looks like and that it's a balance of, you know, these things, which yes, but like kids' minds don't work that way. Their bodies don't work that way. And I think that like to take the pressure off the idea of that every single meal has to be you know, like this exact, you know, like proportion of like the different food groups. And I think like releasing that and realizing that a kid can within one meal, just eat just the fruit, just the starch, just the whatever is totally normal and is okay. They're learning every kid, every person is born with like an intuitive sense to feed themselves. It's like the first thing we do when we get born (laughs) is to like seek out food. And we have this just like natural intuitive um, of like being able to view food and like feel like what, what feels better, like what looks like and is like what my body needs right now and I think that and like they typically say that we start to lose that intuitive eating ability around the age four if there is like that outside pressure of you know parents and society kind of telling you like what you like you know telling you you know like no you're you you can't be full you didn't eat your whole plate you need to finish your plate and that just leads to a lot of times to kids overeating we typically find in families where parents push food that kids then tend to develop restrictive or eating disorders and you find in families where parents restrict food because they might think that their child is overweight, you then typically get um, uh, like kids developing like hoarding and hiding food and like eating it in secret because of like that, like of that idea of it being so it, allowing and having that division of responsibility and giving and allowing kids. That's how they started. They got they get to decide when they're, you know, drinking a bottle or nursing how much of that bottle or like what they do. Like you don't sit there and try to like force the rest of the bottle, you know, on them if they have decided that they're done eating. Like that's them listening to their internal hunger cues that are like in there and regulated and like down to a science of being able to tell them like, stop, you're full. And that sometimes can happen after two bites at a meal for a kid and to kind of dishonor that internal cue to stop eating um, can really, not always, but it can cause a lot of um, just 
just issues with eating. I, I think so many of us, um, you know, think about the idea that we eat for so many other reasons than for like nourishment. We eat, you know, like a lot of times then like we kind of have that mentality. So many people I know, like my husband has talked about that idea of like, it feeling hard to leave bites of, you know, like food on your plate. Cause there was just such that push, you know, when you're younger, like you have to finish your plate and that causes you to start to lose your intuitive eating and to start to push back against like your natural cues of signaling for hunger to then override that by an external cue of like the, the visual of like your plate being empty. Like you're not done. You're not full until the plate is empty. And that can, you know, lead to overeating, um, and a lot of other, a lot of other issues. What do you think about desserts as a reward system? Is that damaging? Is that a good idea? No, I think it's, I think that we need to move away from it. I just recently did an Instagram post on that of just like moving away like that. Yeah. Food shouldn't be used as a reward punishment system. It's so I, and I a hundred percent know why people do it. And I think I probably would do it if I didn't like learn about it. It's, I mean, I feel like that so much as parenting, like you're just, you're, you're just surviving, you're surviving, you're coping. You're just, you know, like you're just trying to get out the door. Like you're just trying to, you know, like it just can become so much and it can become so easy. And again, I think that's a lot of how we were raised and food is food is so integral to our culture, to our sense of belonging, to like our sense of family um, and like our relationship to like ourselves and the world that it's just easy to do that but i it just it it is not helpful to to adopt because typically you get rewarded with sweet treats and you get punished with vegetables so you already are kind of setting up and like so many kids have that pushback of like if you tell me don't eat this because it's not good for me like i'm going to want to eat it like versus you know like versus the other things and like so much is like that if you don't finish your broccoli you'll lose you know movie time there's like a punishment re like associated to vegetables. And there's uh, if you clean up your room or if you put on your shoes, I'll give you a lollipop in the car. And so there's and there's reward. And that kind of behavior that can develop can it, for people who are prone towards disordered eating or people who are like just prone towards that kind of just like um, perfectionist, um, it can really become dangerous as like a child gets older and just body image and so many other things that people that we and we do it to ourselves that we, re, you know, like we reward and celebrate with certain foods. And like if, you know, like if we think we've been eating bad, that we, you know, then punish our, you know, like you, you know, like you're, you can only eat salad, you know, like you can only eat these type of foods. And it's kind of like your punishment. And that is just not a healthy relationship with food or how it's like meant to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved how you talked about from birth to four and the kind of um, that process. How do you handle so from four to maybe 10 or 12 or the ranges where we struggled the most with picky kids mm -hmm. where they would like love something and suddenly they wouldn't love it. Like our biggest issue is lasagna. They all loved it. And then everyone suddenly stopped loving it. And now yeah. we're making a la carte meals on lasagna night. So how do I know? So how do I handle a picky kid eater and how do I know when to force them or at all or if, <laughs> how do I know when to release that and honor yes. their own decision yeah that's where it, you can just come back to that re division of responsibility that you get to decide like what's for dinner and to build kind of like a you know a meal that has like a few you know like options or like the things with it so that and like maybe if like there's the lasagna you can just make sure that there's something um 
in the intuitive eating world, we call it a safe food. So like if there's a meal where like, you know, that there's probably, like they're probably not going to like it to pair it with something that is a safe food or a food that's enjoyed um, by that child or by the family. So that when they sit down at the table, that they're at least able to pick something, pick something. Um, but again, yeah, just that exposure of having things. And yeah, kids are going to come and go with what they like and dislike, Re just continuing to present it and trying in different ways, you know, like that instead of maybe it being like a baked lasagna in there, you know, it's like basically the same ingredients of it, but like in like a one pot noodle dish with, you know, like macaroni looking noodles and the sauce and the cheese and the veg, you know, like the veggies mixed into it. So you can try and get, you know, just get like a little bit creative, you know, change it up to something um, that if that's like a go-to meal for you, you know, like how can you just tweak it a little bit? Um, and, you know, maybe you do it a little bit less frequently, but typically kids will come back around to it. I think just like us, we get on food jags, we get on things that like we love and like we do it for a while. And then, you know, it just, you kind of, <laughs> you discover the next thing or, you know, whatever happens. And so again, just allowing the, the child to, again, from the food choices that are available, what um, can often happen and what is, it's hard to work against, but we talk about the idea of parents becoming short order cooks for their family, where you end up, you know, like if there's pushback at the mealtime that you, you know, end up making a, you know, like putting, you know, adding some tots and chicken nuggets into the air fryer and preparing those. And that child gets to eat that versus the lasagna or what was there. And that is where that's again, in that division of responsibility, like they, they get to choose what was presented to them at the meal. And you can set, we always, um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. They talk about this with kids, but I also learned it in my last job with uh, dealing with like difficult, like with uh, someone that is uh, becoming like aggressive, <laughs> that you can, you can be fair, firm, and friendly. <laughs> that you can be fair and like knowing and like that, like just that this is, you know, that I'm, you know, I am sorry that you don't like the lasagna, that that's not like what you want, that this is what we're having for, for dinner tonight. Um, you know, you can shoot, you, you can, you know, there's some fruit salad and the lasagna, you can choose to, um, you know, like what, you know, like if, if you want to eat it, you can choose that or not. There isn't another option and letting them know that. I mean, and some parents, you know, just like feel and like, and then letting the kid, because oftentimes they're just going to put up that push, but if like they're hungry, like, you know, if they're going to eat the lasagna or they might just eat the fruit and that's okay. And they learn, they learn though, that there's not like that. What is presented to them is the option and to work within that. And I think being able to learn that ability to eat, you know, like to eat foods that aren't like your all time favorite, like mind blowing explosion of flavor, but being able to eat other types of foods for like that nourishment um, is just really beneficial for kids to kind of be able to develop that sense of like, this is what's for dinner. Um, I get to choose of what's presented, but there isn't another option now. For people, there are some kid people that have kids with like food allergies, with digestive issues, or um, that are like on the autism spectrum disorder. And I think that within that, dealing with picky eating, need that you can that's the division of responsibility. And some of the things I've talked about can be like a great start, but that some kids do need next level intervention from occupational therapy, from like a specialist to really help deal with like a more medical degree of picky eating. Um, we call it. But, um, like avoidant restrictive disorder, food disorder. Um, and that's like, that's, that's something that's a little bit more advanced than just generalized kid picky eating. Um, and so I always like to make sure that people know that um, there are situations and things that can be going on with a kid that um, you would want to change up that feeding environment and that division or like what's available to them and their choices um, based on if there's some, you know, type of uh, 
just behave like more medical behavior um, or digestive issue going on. And that would include um, when you say digestive issue, that would include like kids with food allergies um, who are like lactose intolerant or have a nut allergy or something. Yeah. Yeah. Kids with digestive issues. Um, some kids that um, don't even have um, allergies, but have maybe things like IBS, like irritable bowel syndrome or other things going on. Kids that have a lot of anxiety can experience a lot of, a lot of digestive issues. Um, and so there can be, um, you know, things that you would want to address or like kids with like um, OCD type tendencies um, that, you know, sometimes things like the color of food, the texture of food can be really triggering and that just anxiety induced around like the foods or the things can then kind of like just cause digestive upset to, to happen. And so those, those levels of things definitely need um, intervention from specialists and care providers that can kind of help give a how how to help meal times go. Gotcha. Jumping back to meal planning briefly, what do you do for snacks? Like, how do you select snacks? I would imagine that's a really difficult place to find something that isn't just like pure sugar or pure corn. Yeah. Um, to send with a kid to school or to pack for something or or to have ready. When, mm -hmm. when a kid comes back um, unaccompanied and, and is just like browsing through the kitchen, like what, what do you, what do you recommend there? Oh, sorry. Can I add to that? How, yeah. so how do you find snacks? But then how do you, so then we, we find fun snacks, healthy snacks, and then the kids just go in there and just like tear them apart. So how do you, how do you find the snacks? But then how do you monitor them in a way that doesn't become like Gestapo level where they're sneaking yeah. fruit snacks and yes. then. Yeah. The, you'll buy something fun and they all disappear in a day. Yeah. You have any so part yes. part B. Um, with intuitive eating and with like mindful eating, one of the biggest suggestions with snacks is to just kind of redefine that like typically what ends up happening is mealtime food is cooked vegetables and foods that like you don't like. And then snacks are fun treats and packaged crackers. And if you can intermix and making it that sometimes like those more typical snack things are also happening at a meal time and that more meal time like foods are happening at snack times you don't have this like you know like that meal times are like down here like on like low like rung of the ladder of like fun of them being fun or like being you know what they want and then snacks are like these like amazing like in the shiny wrapper with like the fun rainbow bunnies on the front and like like so to try to like help level the playing field for those two things that snack and like really snacks are many meals they should look like the foods that you're also having at meal times and vice versa so I always just suggest kind of almost intermixing and so maybe for like a lunch like lunch can look like a half a sandwich and the and like the fruit and like the packet of fruit snacks on the plate like with the apple slices so that's typically like the fruit snacks might be something that typically was like a quote-unquote snack food it's now like at the meal time because I think a lot of times for kids it's the like it's snack time means I get to eat the fun treats that aren't ever a part of a meal like meal times and where like again looking at like sometimes just even making like the snack can be like a mini taco you know like or like a little like a little quick you know like um like black, like black bean, like chips with black bean, you know, like so, like a black bean dip. It looks more like the food that's at a meal time, and so you kind of just like again bring snacks and meal times to looking more like each other than them being like, <laughs> you know, the, the dangling carrot of like the foods that we all just want to would rather eat <laughs> out of like a fun little looking package than like you know a pile of beans and 
cooked veggies on your plate. <laughs> as my as my kids roam through the kitchen in the evenings, it's it's so how, how do how do you honor a kid's like hunger cues with snack time as opposed to still having some discipline and knowing that kids yeah. can't really govern their own themselves yeah so well typically sometimes. within that division of responsibility you get to decide when like snack and when meal times are happening but then and then and like so if it is it can be that so like if there's like okay after there's like you know like once you get home from school there's a snack and it might be that you bring out the snack basket and put it on the table and everyone you know gets to pick their like item and maybe you pair that with um you know some cut fruit on the table or with you know something else and then it's like everyone gets to put you know like have that but then you then you can then you can like put those away it's okay to not have that like free access to the you can create you know sometimes I'm like this is where again if I'm working with a family where kids are used to being able just to like come into the kitchen and grab anything or everything you can still create like where maybe you know like on certain you know like on certain days there's that kind of like you know like the kitchen is open and the intuitive eating we use this the term op- the kitchen is open or the kitchen is closed as terminology that you can kind of use with your kids so if and you know like if if a kid you know has a snack and at snack time, again, they do get to choose, um, you know, like if, if they, you know, like if they need more peanut butter and apple, sometimes you just tap, you just naturally run out of something and it's, there isn't more available. Um, but to like, let them, you know, listen to their hunger cues of like when they get full and can give them seconds on things. But then after that snack time is done and you can let kid, you know, like you can kind of give those fair, firm, friendly boundaries of, okay, like, you know, the kitchen is going to be closed in 10 minutes, like snack time is going to be done in 10 minutes. Um, and then there, um, and then the, our next food will be dinner time and allowing and creating kind of like that boundary of like, okay, you know, like we had the 20 minutes for snack time and for food to happen. Now, like the way that time is closing and you can use that language. Um, you'll hear it a lot from, if you start like following intuitive eater, like, uh, dietitians of kind of using the, all right, like the, all right, the kitchen is closing in five minutes or like the opportunity for snack or for this meal. Um, and then the next meal isn't going to be until this, you know, like this is the time, like when this next thing is happening. Um, and that if they, you know, come to you after that, um, point and are like, I'm hungry, you know, you can say like, oh, you know, like I, I hear you, like I hear you, um, you know, dinner's going to be, you know, in 20 minutes, I will sometimes based on like my child coming and telling me. I'm really hungry. Like when's lunch? I will, you know, like flex lunch, you know, plus or minus 15, 20 minutes that if I'm like hearing that, that they're feeling really hungry, maybe, you know, instead of lunch happening at noon, we'll have it, you know, at 1145 to be able to allow for some of that, like that they're listening to their body and saying that they're hungry. You can also within those moments as a child gets older can kind of, you know, like you can use that moment to kind of ask like, oh, like, what did you, you know, like, oh, you're already hungry. Like, you know, like we just had snack time. You're like, what did you eat for your snack? You know, and if they kind of say like, I had the fruit snacks, you can say like, oh, you had the fruit snacks, but like, did you eat any of the apple and peanut butter? And if they're like, no, um, you can use that as that opportunity to be like, oh, so like the fruit gummies didn't fill your belly that, you know, like fill your belly, you know, maybe I, you know, there's, there's some good calorie there's calories in the in the fruit snacks but um it looks like you were missing some protein and healthy fat you like maybe next snack time we can work on if you want to try some of you know the other foods that have some fats and proteins that might help your belly to feel full for a little bit longer till dinner time and you can kind of start to use that to help them to cue into that idea of like yes gummy snacks are fun but gummy snacks don't you know make me feel full or always make me feel good (laughs) 
One quick thing that I will give to when you're talking to kids about food, and I know Pat, I mentioned this to you, that one thing that as you're talking about food, as also as much as you can remove the moral system of some foods being bad and some foods being good away from your language is also good. So instead of, again, back to that gummy example, rather than saying like, well, yeah, gummy snacks are bad for you. Like gummy snacks are, you know, junk food. Those aren't good for your body. You know, like you should have chose, you know, like you should pick the apple and um, and peanut butter, like removing the idea that there's moral value to some foods and others of like us labeling them good or bad as much as we can also like remove that language from it and kind of just look at it as like the simplistic idea of the ideas of like what they do for our body and that gummy snacks do have cal like yeah so I'll, you know like I'll say things like for like you know crackers or treats like that I'll say like you know um the gummy snacks give us a, our body a little bit of quick energy they give our body quick energy um but then we our bodies also, you know, need, you know, protein to grow strong muscles and bones and need, you know, like healthy fats for like our brain and kind of use that, like those terms that don't make it be that like, you know, gummy snacks are like the bad evil food. And you're, you're, cause then that can again, play into psychology wise, you know, like, of you know, like when you talk about the idea of like, you know, being a good child or a bad child, if like you're also denoting good and bad to like foods and like if I'm choosing to eat gummy snacks, does that mean I'm bad because like the gummy snacks are bad? Like it's just as it's really weird when you actually think of it that way, when you step back and look at the idea of like applying like morals to foods, like a moral like level of good or bad or evil to foods um, is, you know, as, as much as we can remove that from the conversations with kids as best. I think that's profound. I think we see morality um, being enmeshed in parts of our lives where it doesn't necessarily belong all over the place. I was just speaking with a friend who was talking about um, kind of the the measure or the the analysis that he gives to children's books before giving them to his daughter or when mm -hmm. they're shopping for narratives. And basically it's like if there are, if there are, well-meaning but misguided moral judgments from these characters in these books they they don't pass that on mm -hmm. um like this this character did this bad thing rather than just opening a conversation then um rather than opening a conversation around a topic you're saying to usually to get out of it it's usually something that we do out of laziness i think because it's just easier to say this is good and that's bad and this is clean yeah. and unclean like clean yes. clean eating yes. is is i think what most of us mean is eating raw foods maybe but <laughs> but i don't know what why that purity language yes. needs yes. to be in there and obviously the complications that you get down the road from that are feelings of shame around nutrition and sure. then you know you wind up at a taco bell at 2 in the morning feeling yeah. uh bad yes for sure for sure yes as much as I mean, you can with a friend winds up at <laughs> taco friend. bell at two in the morning yeah as much as you can remove that and kind of come down to like the practical 
what food does for your body. And that like, you know, a lots of, you know, like that things like that have calories, they have energy for our body. That's can be quick. And, you know, like I'll talk about the idea of like quick energy, um, you know, like for, for our bodies, but that, yeah, like we need these other things and cut to be able to point back to like that, you know, gummy snacks with quick energy don't like help our bellies to, you know, stay like, um, full until dinner time. And so that, you know, like maybe we can look at these, you know, like other options. The other two like quick practical kind of parent hacks that I would add is that I've let my kid, like when we go to Costco, I let them pick out like salmon, sirloin steak or chicken, chicken breast. Right. And then when I bring it home, a lot of it's, uh, it's, it's thawed and that you're tired and you just want to throw it in the freezer, but I'll take that moment to actually portion it up and put it in the little bags and freeze it. So then the moment when you need to cook it, it's yes. already pre-portioned into four ounce pieces. That saved my life. Yes. It also thaws way quicker too. Yeah. And then I can portion it out perfectly and grab five or six pieces. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I accidentally discovered, and Pat and I were on the smoothie train last year. My kids started becoming interested in smoothies. And so yeah. snack time became smoothie time. And my kids, like they don't like spinach. They don't like yogurt. They don't like flaxseed. And some of them don't like bananas. And I'll take all of those items and put some frozen berries and I'll actually take all the frozen food out and let them pick their own smoothie. And then I'll sneak in all those, you know, devil items that I just mentioned and they love it. <laughs> but they're so not devil test... items because there's no morality to food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. Uh, less desired items by my children, but it's fun to, it's fun to, you can sneak in some, some healthy options and so give kids that choice on the smoothie options. For sure. Um, Next level of like what I would, if I was intervening for you, would be to start to let them know that those food items are in the smoothie, like have them like helps, you know, like a scoop and put it in. Um, I'm all for like putting those like less desired foods into things and mixing it. But I typically like let my kids know that it's there because then once they mm, taste it idea. and try it and they know that they like it, then that like, you know, like, then it can, you know, I'll bring up with like, um, with Ruby all the time. I'll, you know, like let her know like, um, Oh, so like, you know, like you didn't like the, um, the, the cauliflower, like the last night we made it, but that was steamed cauliflower. And I think you might actually like it roasted and blended into this cheese sauce. Like, I think, you know, like you, you're going to like it this way. And I think it just helps kids to know that food can taste different in different foods and in different circumstances. And it helps them to be more open to try, to trying. So, it, you know, like to trying a food that like, okay, maybe they don't like spinach, but then they, they can learn, oh, but like actually. Actually, I do like spinach in a smoothie. So the next time I see spinach, I might like it or I might not like it because I know I like it one way, but not another. Like I'm, I'll try it because I could like it. Like it, you, like it could be that way. And so I think the, as you can, I totally get it that sometimes you do just like sneak those things in there and mum's the word, but to work on actually, like actually letting them know and having them help see it happen. Um, you know, and using some like little tricks of just, you know, letting them have the power of scooping it in there. Or I, with a lot of things like hemp seeds, chia seeds, flaxseed, I call them sprinkles. And I'll be like, who wants to put this, you know, like who wants to sprinkle the seeds in? And my kids are like, like that, like pick me just because of that word sprinkle. (laughs) You've you've eventized (laughs) it. That's incredible. Um, You know, and so they'll like, they'll, they'll do that, but you know, like other, yeah, it's so I think, yeah, as you can work on, you know, like I love the idea of, you know, putting pumpkin and, you know, pancakes, putting spinach and things. Um, but then 
allowing for them to know that that happened so that they have, they gain that sense of that there can be times that I like a food and times that I don't like a food. So I'm willing to try new things because I might or might not like it. I, w- I would imagine it's important to, to narrate what's going in there as more than just like a surprise so that they don't feel entrapped. But like, um, how do you like, how, how old does a kid need to be before you start talking to them about the nutritional value of those things and why why it might not taste a whole lot different, but this is why we're putting all these things in here and what it's going to do for your body, why it's worth doing. Yeah, I would. Um, I know that there's like ch- um, there's an account that I follow that they have like a chart for like the exact like psychology behavior, like readiness language to use. Um, and I don't, you know, like remember exactly for some of those different stages. But I think that typically like it doesn't, you know, like it's not until and sometimes it would, you know, there's different levels of four and five year olds of like what they're able to like comprehend. But I think that it is right around like that four or five that you can kind of start talking about that idea of like. Um, you know, protein for bones and, uh, you know, uh, you know, crackers or things for like in like for energy for like your body to be able to run fast. Um, But that below that, typically, like I'd be like my almost two year old, like, you know, isn't asking me like, why are you putting spinach in that? Like, it's just he's just they're they're excited about the sprinkles. Yeah, it just is what it is. Yeah. You know, like that. And like, you know, like you can just talk more about like, look at the fun green color that it like made it. You just are you just making it fun and like just just you're just making it normal. Like the more they in that environment as a little kid just is like this is what happened. Like this is what smoothies look like. This is what mealtimes look like. You know, like they the more they're going to just be like, yeah, this is this is how life is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, I think I just have two more questions for you. I want to jump back out a little bit and just with your with your business, with your um, nutrition service, what's the problem or one of the problems that you're trying to solve with every nutrition client? What are you seeing most often? Maybe give us one or two examples of that. Yeah. Gosh, the one nutrition problem. I think that I think that what I've seen within like like nutrition for families is just the like the the time and the energy <laughs> that so many people like that it comes down to a lot of that. And so I think that one issue that I'm trying to solve is just this societal idea that we want food to be fast and like not encumber us, like not like not take up our time when in fact like for so many years like f- you know like food was is supposed to take up part, you know, like it is supposed to take time. And that when you prepare meals from home, it's kind of like a forced slowdown. Like it forces you to have to slow down to some degree. And that that not only one of, I have this book that like, I absolutely love that I read before I started having kids. It's called Simplicity Parenting, raising the, uh, using the extraordinary power of less to raise calmer, happier, and more secure kids. And um, it's by Kim John Payne. And I, 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 every time I look at it or read it, it just like blows my mind. I think whether you're a parent or not, it's like a powerful thing to read and just talks about that, in our society right now, we have like this overload of too much in four different areas that like we have like too many choices, uh, too many 
too just yeah, too much, too many choices, too much uh like a schedule of time. Oh gosh, why am I forgetting them now? That there's like these four of just like overwhelm that can happen that and especially on a child, he kind of calls it this idea of like it, that it like wages war on childhood that it like really can take away from like the slow unnatural folding process of like a kid you know like playing and discovering and using imagination and same within like the food environment and so I, I think that within my, my desire to help families and something that I saw so much I worked with a lot of seniors in my last job and I just constantly heard the like if I could go back, like if I could do it again, or like if I knew, or if I prioritized, if I prioritized this sooner, like if I, like, you know, like I'd go back and kick myself that like, I didn't spend some time and intention towards thinking about like food and nutrition and just like, you know, just like having it be a priority. And so I think it's just kind of helping families to see that, it, that even beyond food choices of like, you know, including more nutrient dense foods, that just creating that time with your family to slow down for a meal is just so needed for a childhood that to have them experience slowed times of connection with family back to like that that's how we started and like our parents arms like when we were feeding is just this like really close secure I got I get emotional thinking about like those moments of holding your kids when they're in those first months of life and like thinking about the dinner table being that time and that environment to like bring your kids back into like the security and safety like of your arms and to have them know who they are, know that they're safe, love, and like known. And like instilling that around meal times and in dinner times, I think is just like, it's just so valuable. And that it, you know, it sets them up for not only that physical nourishment, but emotional and mental, and for just growing kids that are going to be able to be resilient and be able to handle things um, and just kind of go through life. So that's my passion and like what kind of drives me towards like putting in kind of that daily grind to making food happen. And it ebbs and flows through different seasons of school and sports and things like that, but always kind of coming back and trying to you know, bring your family back into that, to that family table. The other thing that within that, just kind of like science wise, um, that like what I like to think about is the, our two like sets of like the nervous system, like the parasympathetic and the sympathetic, and there's the fight and flight and the rest and digest. And that so much of us, so many of us spend so many hours in the fight or flight and we push our kids into living in fight or flight for a lot of time when there's just that kind of like fast pace to schedule life meals and that digesting food is supposed to happen in rest. It's for that, you know, like that, you know, part of our nervous system, the rest and digest, like those two words, you know, describe it because they go together. And that having like that force slowdown is where digestion can happen in like a way that is like the most nourishing to our body when we are at peace and like are calm. I mean, like you can really just think about like that deep connection between um, our emotions and our, like your stomach, you know, just thinking about, you know, like before a race or before an event, you know, getting the butterflies, um, you know, or like if you're really nervous, you know, having, having, a, a, the, having the trots, <laughs> just like how quickly that emotion that like when we're kind of anxious 
and kind of like in that kind of go, go, go fight or flight, it's hard for our mental body, our physical body to be able to digest the food, absorb the nutrition, and also just like have our mind and body kind of just like, just be able to have that, that let down and that relax um, state. And so that's my goal with all my, with all families is to help move from living in that fight and flight and shifting into rest and digest for physical and emotional nourishment. I was just having dinner. Um, I was out on a run and popped in on a friend who lives in the neighborhood last night and ended up staying for dinner. And it was, it was so interesting to sit with their little family and experience their dinner ritual, which was like not picturesque or quiet, but it was intentional. Yes. And it was like all the pieces that you just talked about, like there was, there was like cheese and apples that everybody was kind of grabbing at. And then there was a, a soup that everybody mm-hmm. was having. And then um, it they do a little ritual, I guess, recently, now that all the kids are in school, they just, everybody shares their high and their low yes. for yep. the day, which yep. was awesome. Like you got, you got a little window onto everybody's day. Everyone was seen. It happened during the meal. I mean, um, it felt a little chaotic and it felt really rich and really special. And it probably took 20 minutes and it was so cool to witness. And that seemed like it was definitely a meal I could make. It was definitely a conversation that I could hold. I was Mm -hmm. like, this feels like 10 degrees more energy than I'm spending by myself, but but like a really special doable space. It Mm -hmm. was cool. Yeah, for sure. I love I love that story because I think when you think of a meal, like let's say us and our spouses, partners go to dinner, we want to sit for three hours and have these in-depth conversations. I think the practical moment uh, with a family is my goal is like, if we can get 15 minutes, that's a win. Yes. And the moment everyone starts eating and some of them eat really fast and then they're immediately trying to get up, get away. And so we've created games that everyone is essentially forced to, and our favorite is animal guessing game. <laughs> And so someone picks, we basically play 20 questions and you just pick an animal and you pick a panda and then each kid gets to do it once. Yes. And then at that point we adjourn, but all of a sudden it creates this kind of playfulness and the kids get engaged and they forget that they're actually sitting with us. And we do that for 15 minutes. I think we've actually played animal guessing game yeah. with Pat at our table, Yeah. but little simple tricks like that. And then for me to think, remember, I don't, we need an hour. If I can get 17 minutes, I need to be really thankful for those 17 minutes Yeah. and it's going to be chaotic and then everyone's going to run away. And that's a huge win. And I'm really thankful for that. Yeah. And, you know, and realizing that like oftentimes like weeknight meals, like have to look like that, you know, and maybe you try to create, you know, one weekend meal to be like a more slow, like everyone, you know, helps with some part of like the food prep or setting the table and, um, you know, like creating for it, but yeah, creating those like little rituals or those little things. Um, I, this last like fall winter did like a little like winter solstice like practice. Um, and like where we had candles and like, um, uh, like got to like light them and do kind of the like saying the things, but yeah, bringing any of that just intention and helping to kind of like bring that slow down. I think, yeah, it's just so important for mind, body, and soul. I'm thinking candles, man, if you would have introduced fire to me as a, as a kid, I would have been focused at dinner. (laughs) One other thing I've been doing recently too, which is my kids, I've been shocked they really want to be part of the meal prep process. Mm-hmm. And one of my personal goals is to have my kids leave the house 
to college or, or whatever they do, you know, after high school, um, with, you know, many chef skills. And so like, so last week, my six-year-old and I, like she steamed or she sauteed kale and broccoli and mm-hmm. steamed it. Um, and on a little stool in a cast iron, it was really hot and felt really dangerous. And my son made the basmati rice and it's, it's shocking to me how simple of a task you can give a kid kid that it's, it's kind of pointless, but it, to them, it feels really important and rich and they're involved in that meal process. And then I was shocked by like, they were more excited to eat the food that they had created. And my six-year-old had this deep sense of pride. He yes. presented all of this food that she'd given to our family mm-hmm. and she was so excited about it. Yes. And I was a really cool moment as a dad. Yes. Yeah. The more, the more that you can give owner them establishing and feeling independence and ownership in that process, the more that you're going to experience that buy, like buy-in on whatever the meal is and whatever the thing is. And that, um, yeah, so much again of like chopping and preparing food, you get to just see that that like, you know, you get to talk about where food comes from, that it starts out, you know, hard and crunchy, but when we cook it, it changes to this different texture. So just kind of, yeah, like helping, you know, like that they can see and know that process is super valuable for, again, things like picky eating for helping with that. And again, like, yeah, it just, yeah, it's, it's so valuable to teach those skills and that, yeah, kids love that time around, yeah, food and family are so intricately like intertwined that, yeah, they feel like when they're, you know, around us, and food they're you know going back to those first moments of life and experiencing that deep connection you know around food and family okay so the last question at the end i'm going to ask about the beginning of this journey yes <laughs> how did how did this start for you was it something that you witnessed in your home or in your family that gave you this understanding admiration curiosity around nutrition yeah, for sure. I definitely, I think high school, yeah, high school was when I started to kind of have that first just looking into nutrition and like just seeing what it could do for you. I, my, I grew up, I think as both of you know, but with very, I kind of, I like, I don't like to call them hippie. I like to, I think I like to classify them as more granola <laughs> uh, than hippie, but I had very granola parents Um, and where, yeah, like, you know, like my childhood was like Adam's peanut butter homemade G dehydrated fruit leather, like, you know, <laughs> lucky charms and like Lunchables and ramen noodle were like not a part of my growing up. And, um, you know, I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. There was, um, some such tough, tough, tough lunch times in the lunchroom. Um, but I definitely, my mom kind of went through her own health adventure in college, trying to figure out some skin issues that kind of led her from moving away from like how, like eating the way that she was raised and kind of more the standard American diet. So then when she had us that, you know, she did, she had kind of revamped the way that like she did food. And then my dad was super interested um, in just kind of the, 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 the slowness of growing your own food. Um, and so I all, you know, like we always grew up with like a huge garden and like raising and, um, I mean, my dad has a stationary bike that grinds uh, grains. Like there's a mill on the back what? of it, and it can. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> you can grind and make nut butter or like grains. Um, and so, yeah, food. I I did get allowed that opportunity to have food be slow and intentional, and got to be you know in the garden helping cooking and you know receiving that food. And I did get to then the big shift for me of like that that mattered. 
hit me when my watch my grandparents, my mom's parents who raised her, like watch them kind of come into retirement and they had these big hopes and dreams for their retirement. And they were a huge part of our life, but then they started having so many medical conditions that were diet and lifestyle choice related that just, I just kind of watched their, those hopes and dreams just slip away from them, like just get removed, you know, just like have the, and then to like, see that not only change their physical ability, but then very quickly their mental health. And just seeing that those two are so interconnected, um, that I, they weren't able to be a part of our life in the same way that they were before. And I, I really miss that. It, you know, like, and then I just started to see like that, like, kind of ripple out effect of like nutrition and like, you know, just that wellness, like affecting you personally, and then ripples out to your family, to your community and like so on and so forth. Um, and just kind of saw that and was like, holy moly, like, you know, like that's why my parents are, you know, trying to do these things that they are doing with us, um, because food does matter. And that a lot of times, you know, food is a little bit more slow medicine than fast acting medicine, that it's hard for us to, in the moment, be able to, you know, think about like how we want our retirement to look like. Um, and my parents also had another set of family friends that were even a little bit older than my grandparents that we, I kind of just got to watch these two lives of my grandparents and this other like elderly couple and where like their newsletter was like them skiing, going to Australia and, you know, like tr taking their grandkids, you know, like on these trips and, do, you know, just like so much more vitality to life. Um, and they were, I mean, they, they, yeah, they were definitely like really healthy, you know, physically active, you know, the foods that they ate, they were really into health and nutrition. My mom kind of, you know, had that they were kind of her health and nutrition gurus that she looked to. And so I just kind of saw like, oh my goodness, like, you know, like, uh, like path A or path B, like which one, like, which one do I want for my life? Um, and that was kind of what started me down, like kind of my interest in nutrition and wanting to make it be, you know, like a priority, um, for my life. Um, after that point, when I did, I went into undergrad at um, University of Montana for exercise science with the not like with wanting to go on to do my master's in nutrition. And I feel like that when I was there, I kind of always had been prone towards like social justice issues. Um, and I started to kind of cross over and see where like there's social justice issues within the food system. Um, and that is when I went to my graduate program here. And then my job after that was and kind of entirely focused on that. I think I had a very privileged, narrow view of the idea of that uh, healthy eating was just a matter of your own personal willpower, like your own willpower to choose kale or choose junk food. Like, you know, like it's up to you. And that was like my narrow, my narrowed privilege view, but, and then kind of, you know, being introduced and seeing the socioeconomic um, factors and matters that come into food access and into just education and access to healthcare and so many other things that do go in and are part of someone's food choices and just really respecting and seeing that like food is not like, it, food is not fair we all don't have equal access to like the same choices and the same things but like it should be like we should all have access to healthy foods to raise our families to like feed ourselves um and so just kind of that was where i went with a lot of my nutrition for the last little bit of time and then within that um I still, you know, love dealing with and, you know, being a part of, um, of that community and looking at, yeah, like 
food politics is a, I mean, when I was in my graduate school, like that was a whole, you know, area that you could go down just like things around food policy and trying to change, you know, things at that level. And there's so many different levels that yes, we could have an entire different conversation around that. Um, But yeah, those kind of two moments or two things just made me completely fascinated with food and nutrition and talking about it, eating it, everything. Yeah. We'll definitely have to have you back on to have a bigger policy, uh, discussion about um, food and food systems. With YesPeas, who um, who can you help with this business? What kind of questions are you trying to solve in that space? Um, give us a give us the the quick pitch for your platform and we'll link everything in the show notes so that people can go check out your your services, your product after yeah, yeah. after they listen to this. Um, I think all fa- if you're a family feeding your children, <laughs> I think you'd benefit or just, you know, like just to come along for the support and the ride, like on like my social media. I think just that idea that typically food happened in a village and like we're so separated <laughs> now and that like we just don't have that village and support. And so just kind of having a, a safe a, a space where that, you know, you can talk and, you know, hear and see things that are relatable um, is great. And I love providing that kind of, you know, support of just just the, the village aspect <laughs> to raising kids. But then if you are, um, you know, if you are, if just meal times and, you know, making meal happen in a sustainable like rhythm is something that is not happening and you're wanting to work on. And it, it doesn't have to be a dramatic change, just even small, easy shifts. Um, and that, you know, maybe you are dealing with like that you've gotten into a, like a routine of, you um, being a short order cook, making different meals, or your kids are really picky and you've tried lots of different things um, that I do have. Yeah, I, I have a full program where I help parents learn all the foundational skills to meal planning, to label reading, to knowing what is a balanced meal look like, the division of responsibility that we talked about. Um, and the, it's, it's, it, there's learning modules and I work with you one-on-one, but then you also get to like, you know, sent home with like actionable, like items and things to work on that help you just gradually build the skills, like up to being able to, you know, to, to get to those goals, especially for families that have a kiddo with like food allergies or like, um, you know, I saw a lot of times when I did a, um, my dietetic internship at the Seattle children's hospital, just like kiddos being diagnosed with like type one diabetes, that whenever you get that next layer of something kind of thrown in where food you know, like of like with food. Um, I love working with families on again coming back to the, like how do you practically make food happen um in a way that works for you know your kid with type one for your kid with that's a picky eater or that has X, Y, or Z, X, Y, or Z. So any parent that is just kind of yeah desiring to experience meal times being not only physically nourishing but emotionally nourishing for like themselves and for their families um that's what my entire program and my entire kind of world is is about um creating and doing for people you can find more info about maureen at um yespeasnutrition.com did i get that right you got it great and we will link all kinds of uh, fun resources in the show notes. Yeah, not only the resources to myself, and I also love helping point people in the direction of, you know, like some, if like, if they, if you are like not knowing 
you know, like, am I dealing with a, you know, more advanced picky level of eating that needs some intervention? Um, I offer free con free consults for just kind of talking and figuring out if I'm the right fit or if, you know, something else might be a better fit for you. Um, and so, and you can see that on my website, but then also in the resources I sent to you, there's a number of different resources for kind of different um, scenarios or situations or things going on. If you're interested in learning about more of um, some of the things I talked about. Mo, this was great. Thank you so yeah. much for uh, for chatting with us today. Yeah, no, I uh, would never have guessed 10 years ago that this was <laughs> this moment would be happening, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, this was this was incredible. I, it's going to have huge impacts on my family and kids. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Take it easy. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. If you or your friend have questions, drop us a line at are you asking for a friend at Gmail? Send us your questions there and we'll work them into a future episode. Thanks so much for listening.